Welcome to the Vintage Church NOLA podcast. Vintage Church is a multi-church, multi-city movement of truth, love, and community. For information, visit vintagechurchmovement.com. Here is this week's message. Good to see you guys this morning. Welcome to Vintage Church. My name is Matthew Weaver. I'm one of the pastors here and uh, super excited to be here this morning. If you're watching online, uh, thanks for tuning in. We're so glad you're here. And hey, can we welcome all of our online audience this morning? Thank them for tuning in, worshiping with us. And uh, I'm excited to continue our series called Crossover uh, in the book of Exodus this morning. And I'm super pumped. So uh, most of you know this, but uh, I'm a brand new dad. So one month in, and uh, our son is here today, and I got some family in town, and so we are excited about that. So if I say anything today that just doesn't make any sense, just blame it on the sleep deprivation, okay? Don't hold it against me. Uh, but man, we, I just want to thank you guys uh, for your love and just the way you've poured out your love to us during this time of having our first kid. I just wanted to publicly thank you because so many of you have brought us food or uh, gift cards or texted us or prayed for us, checked in on us, so thank you. I just wanted to thank you so much, and things are going well so far, right? Uh, and so uh, we're excited about that, and this morning I'm excited to continue this series in uh, the book of Exodus, and uh, we're in this series called Crossover. Uh, maybe if you're new or you maybe have missed a few sermons or something, just to catch us up on what we've talked about, uh, we are journeying through the book of Exodus. We're walking through the entire book uh, chapter by chapter, verse by verse, and we're going through this book throughout this year. Uh, we're going to step into a Christmas series pretty soon. I'm excited about that. And then we'll jump back into Exodus uh, next year. But so far in the book of Exodus, let me just give us a quick recap on what we've seen happen. There's this guy named Moses, right? And, and what happens is Moses is born, um, and his people are being oppressed, the, the Israelites, right? Um, Egypt, the, the Egyptians were oppressing Israel, um, had them in slavery, and God called Moses out of that people um, to rescue his people, to be the leader of the Israelites, to go back and to challenge Pharaoh and tell Pharaoh the message of God and how God was saying, let my people go, let my people go. If not, I'm going to send a plague. And so we find ourselves today, um, we've already looked at nine plagues, right? We've looked at nine different plagues so far um, because Pharaoh continues to refuse God's command to let his people go, God continues to send plagues. And I think if we've learned anything about the plagues, we've learned a couple things. Um, they reveal the presence of God. They reveal that God alone is Yahweh. Pharaoh's not God. No one can challenge God's authority, who God is. And so God is reminding Pharaoh and Israel and Egypt that he alone is God, and he sends those plagues to reveal himself. But also, he sets Israel apart from Egypt in the middle of the plagues, right? Um, Israel is never harmed by the plagues, only Egypt. And so we've looked at nine different plagues, and there's this this tension, we're going to talk about it this morning, that Pharaoh continues to refuse, but God is also sovereign in the process, isn't he? And God is involved in the process, and God is using the process that we've read about so far to reveal himself even more, and to reveal his glory, and just to remind everybody that he alone is God, Israel is his people, and he'll have his way regardless. He's in control. And so today we look at the tenth plague, the 10th plague. We're going to be in chapter 11. Go ahead and turn to Exodus chapter 11. 
Exodus chapter 11, verses 1 through 10 this morning. And actually today, uh, we're just going to read about the, uh, F- Moses presenting the plague to Pharaoh. Next week, come back next week, Pastor Dustin will be back and he will preach on the actual plague happening. We'll talk about the Passover, we'll talk about the connection, the symbolism to Jesus there and how, um, what God does there. But today is just Moses coming to Pharaoh and saying, hey, this is what is about to happen. It's like a warning telling Pharaoh what's about to happen. He's speaking it into existence. So Exodus chapter 11, verses 1 through 10, here's our main idea today, if you're taking notes. Our main idea is that we will never regret obeying God. Amen? We will never regret obeying God. There will never be a situation in our lives. Now, look, I'm not saying it makes sense, because it (laughs) it doesn't always make sense, does it? We do not see the big picture like God does. We do not know what God is doing behind the scenes. But when God says do something, when God calls us to obey, we must obey. Whether we understand what he's doing or not, right? And when we obey in the middle of that type of situation, we're not going to regret it. We may not see what, what God's doing till later on in life, right? But God is working in the big picture sovereignly. And when he says do something, We should do it, and we should obey him. So that's our main idea today. So in light of that reality, let's look at three truths from the text that teach us that we will never regret obeying God from the text. Truth number one is this. Number one is that God honors those who obey him. God honors those who obey him. Look at verses one through three. Exodus chapter 11 says, the Lord said to Moses, yet one plague more I will bring upon Pharaoh and upon Egypt, and afterward he will let you go from here. When he lets you go, he will drive you away completely. So speak now in the hearing of the people that they ask every man of his neighbor and every woman of her neighbor for silver and gold jewelry. And the Lord gave the people favor in the sight of the Egyptians. Moreover, the man Moses was very great in the land of Egypt, in the sight of Pharaoh's servants and in the sight of the people. Stop right there. So God honors those who obey him. Right away, we begin to see that even through the plagues, right? Even through the 10 plagues, the nine plagues we've seen so far, God has been faithful to his people. There would be a time very soon, I promise it's coming, it feels like it's dragging on, doesn't it? But there is going to be a time in the text where we read about Israel leaving Egypt, crossing, going into the promised land, and God ultimately freeing them from captivity. But through the process, God is faithful to his people, and every single thing that's happened has been strategic for God to reveal himself and set Israel apart, and to set Moses apart. Do you remember reading about Moses earlier on in this series? Moses struggled with doubt in his leadership, didn't he? He struggled with insecurity. He struggled to rise up to the occasion. I remember reading about that, and he, had, he, was, he was insecure about his speech, right? He was insecure. He kept saying, who am I? God says, go, you got this, I'm calling you. And Moses just says, who am I to do this, God? 
And God continues to give Moses what he needs to lead. But Moses struggled in the early days with his leadership. And now we see even the Egyptians begin to honor him. So over time, over 10 chapters, Moses has become an influential leader. And God even asked the Egyptians to give them their jewelry before they leave. You might be like, what in the world does that mean? Well, let me explain. Let's go back to Exodus chapter 3, verses 19 through 22. It's going to be on the screen. This is a connection. This is not random, okay? This is a connection back to Exodus chapter 3, uh, verses 19 through 22, where God actually says this is going to happen. It says, but I know that the king of Egypt, God says, I know the king of Egypt will not let you go unless compelled by a mighty hand. So I will stretch out my hand and strike Egypt with all the wonders that I will do in it. And after that, I will let you go. And I will give this people favor, that's Israel, in the sight of the Egyptians. And when you go, you will not go empty. But each woman shall ask of her neighbor and any woman who lives in her house for silver and gold jewelry and clothing, you will put them on your sons and put them on your daughters. So what is this, what's the significance here? Egypt has gotten to a point here where they are tired of basically what God is doing because they keep rejecting him, right? And so they're, they're, they're at this point now where Israel's about to be freed from captivity. And before they leave from captivity, they're going to ask Egypt for these things, and Egypt is going to give them these things, right? That would not have happened six chapters ago, would it? But God has been working in their hearts. God's been revealing himself, and he's going to give them these things, and they're going to leave captivity with more than what they had when they started. And this is going to be a sign of God's favor upon Israel and his provision for them as they leave to the next thing. God's uh, showing favor to their obedience, showing favor to them. Who wants God's favor in their life? I hope most hands are up. God looks on his children as we obey him, and he shows us favor. God honors those who obey him, but you know what God does not honor? Pride. God never honors pride. Let's think about that. Israel, up to this point, has lived in a state of oppression. They have been humbly and obediently living in this state under Egyptian oppression, right? Now, did they struggle? Did they? Of course, they had, I mean, they're not perfect. But as a whole, they have stayed in this state for a long time. And God is saying, I see your your humility. I, I see your perseverance. I see your obedience. And I'm going to honor you. I'm going to take care of you. I'm going to remember my covenant with you. I'm going to provide for you. But I'm not going to honor pride. Example, Pharaoh. I think about Matthew 23, Uh, verses 11 through 12, Jesus is teaching about this upside-down kingdom, right? The Bible is ultimately about Jesus. He's the main character. The Old Testament points to his coming. The New Testament points to his life and ministry. And then the Holy Spirit, the early church, and now we wait for him to come back again, right? So Jesus comes, and he fulfills the prophecy. He shows up. He teaches about the kingdom. He teaches many hard things. And in Matthew 23, he says, The greatest among you shall be your servant. 
Whoever exalts himself will be humbled. Whoever humbles himself will be exalted. Faithful obedience to God no matter the circumstances. We will never regret it. And God will honor it in this lifetime or maybe the next when we see him face to face. It's upside down though, isn't it? Culture in the world says you need to get more, you need to be this person, you need to keep going, you need to whatever. Jesus says, no, you need to serve. You need to live upside down. And when you serve and you live in humility, I will honor that and ultimately I'll exalt you. I'll give you more influence. I'll give you more blessing. I'll give you me completely. God honors those who obey him. Truth number two. So if God honors those who obey him, our second truth is that uh, disobeying God has consequences. Disobeying God has consequences. Verses four through seven says this. So Moses said, Thus says the Lord, talking to Pharaoh, right? Speaking this into existence, what will happen? About midnight, I will go, the Lord will go in the midst of Egypt, and every firstborn in the land of Egypt shall die, from the firstborn of Pharaoh who sits on the throne, all the way to the firstborn of the slave girl behind the handmill, and all the firstborn of the cattle. There will be a great cry throughout the land of Egypt, such as there has never been, nor ever will be again. But not a dog will growl against any of the people of Israel, either man or beast, that you may know that the Lord makes a distinction between Egypt and Israel. Everybody say distinction. That's not a word we use in our everyday vocabulary, is it? This is a word that continues to appear in the book of Exodus that God is making a distinction between Egypt and Israel. And now God was going to set Israel apart in the greatest way possible where Egypt's firstborn would be taken away, even the animals. Now, once again, this is not a random plague. This is tough to read. Uh, This is a tough one, right? But I think we need to look at the big picture of what's happening here to, to keep everything in context And so when you go back to Exodus 4, by the way, I love to connect the dots in the Bible. Anybody else? You know the Bible just all connects together, right? It's not just random stuff. It connects Old Testament, New Testament, cross-references. Everything is connected, and everything is is working together. In Exodus chapter 4, verses 21 through 23, God says this was going to happen if Pharaoh continued to disobey. If Pharaoh continued to harden his heart, and rebel against God, God said this would happen. And this is what Exodus 4, 21 through 23 says. The Lord said to Moses, when you go back to Egypt, see that you do before Pharaoh all the miracles I've put in your power, but I will harden his heart so that he will not let the people go. Then you shall say to Pharaoh, thus says the Lord, Israel is my firstborn son. I will say to you, let my son go that he may serve me. If you refuse to let him go, behold, I will kill your firstborn son. So this plague, this final plague, this 10th plague, is not an afterthought. 
It's not a reactionary plague on the spot. God said this would happen if Egypt continued to rebel. And Pharaoh would not obey. And this is the worst plague because it can't be taken back. Just think about all the other plagues real quick, right? The gnats, the frogs, the boils, the... There's so many, I'm forgetting them all right now. But you know what I mean? Like, they've all been, through Moses and God, presented, they've happened, and then God took them away, right? All right, this plague is different. This can't be reversed. And the reason... God is sovereign over life and death. That's very important for us to remember. Dustin talked about that a few weeks ago. God is sovereign over life and death. God knows everything. God knows when our last breath is going to be. God knew when your first breath would be. He's sovereign over everything. We don't understand that, but we're not God. He is. And as he's sovereign over life and death, he's given Egypt multiple and multiple and multiple and multiple opportunities to repent and to let them go. And they have not done it. And now God is saying, if you're not going to let my firstborn go, this is the consequences for you. The firstborn is Israel. God talks about that. Israel is referred to as his firstborn because God would use the nation of Israel to begin this movement, right, of the kingdom of God. It wasn't really about Israel, by the way. It was about starting with the people. Keep that in mind. It was about starting with a group of people that would represent God and do their best to reflect the image of God to the rest of the nations, the rest of the peoples, the rest of the world, so that other people would also become children of God. So Israel was called to a very high calling, weren't they? They were called to keep the law, to keep the covenant, to be holy, to be blameless, to walk with God and demonstrate who God was to everyone else so that more people would come to know God. We even read about some Egyptians coming to know God throughout the text, right? That fear God throughout the process. That's why Israel was the firstborn. God would call men out of the nation of Israel to lead Israel into these different things. And ultimately, we know that Israel is pointing to the firstborn of creation, which is who? Starts with a J. Jesus. Can't go wrong with that. Good job. Jesus is the firstborn of creation. He's referred to as the firstborn of all things. So everything's pointing to what Jesus is coming to do out of the nation of Israel to reach the entire world. And Pharaoh continued to rebel God was involved in the process too. There's that tension. We have to wrestle with that. Pharaoh's choosing. God's also involved in the process. But this is a long journey. And now there's consequences. Consequences. I want to think about this for a minute. I know this is tough. I want to think about consequences. And let's just kind of get practical for a minute. There are consequences to everything we do. Every decision we make, every um, time we obey God, every time we disobey God, there are going to be things that happen because of those decisions that we make. This may be a big picture example for us as we look at this text and this story, but we need to look at our lives and remind ourselves that everything that we do also has consequences. When we disobey God, when we uh, continually say no to God, it matters. You might not see why it matters right now, or you may see it very quickly. 
but it matters. Let's think about Adam and Eve, the first two people ever created. The book of Genesis, Adam's created, Eve's created. You know, there was a rebellion. There was a spiritual rebellion before there was a human rebellion. Satan rebelled against God. He was an angel that rebelled against God. He came down, he appeared in the garden, and he deceived Adam and Eve. They gave in to that temptation. They gave in to what Satan said. They had free choice to either obey God or not, and they chose to disobey God. Satan tempted them, and because of that temptation, we now struggle with sin. Yay, right? Thank you so much. But before we point the finger at them, we need to ask ourselves, what would we do? We are easily enticed by the wrong things, aren't we? When we don't yield to God, we yield to sin. So because of Adam and Eve's sin, the scripture says, in Adam, we are all dead. But we don't stop there. Because in Christ, we're made alive. Christ is the second Adam, right? He's the greatest Adam. He fulfills what Adam could not do. No prophet could do what Jesus was going to do. Everything pointed to the coming uh, work of Jesus Christ. And I'm so thankful that Jesus did that for us. When we understand the weight of our sin, we begin to understand the weight of what Jesus has done for us. He did not leave us in that state, right? But when we don't do things God's ways, God's way, there are consequences. God knows what is best for us. God has set things up the way he has because he's God. He knows what's going to bring us true life. He knows what's going to satisfy us. He knows what is ultimately going to fulfill us. He alone knows. When we say no to that, to God's design, and yes to our design, there's consequences. Is there still grace? Yes. But grace is not a license to sin against God all the time. Right? Grace pulls us back to God. But when we live in God's design, God's way, we won't regret it. But there's consequences. Let's think about this. What are some consequences of some decisions we make, some uh, disobedience that we may struggle with? There's direct consequences. Three things. Direct consequences or immediate consequences where you do something and right away you got to deal with it. <laughs> you can't hide it. You can't be like, I'll deal with this in 10 years. No, it's happened and it is what it is. Like I just remember when I was uh, in high school and uh, I thought I would try out this cheating thing on a test, right? I used to say, I'm never going to cheat. No way. Those people are, that's, they're crazy. Well, I, I always struggled with math. Anybody else struggle with math? Math's not my forte. Okay, don't judge me for this, please. I'm a, I'm a broken sinner in need of God's grace, just like you. Okay, I've learned my lesson. But in high school, there was this test I had, and there was this formula that I had to memorize. I hated those things. It's like, 10 steps of a math formula to get the answer. And I just couldn't memorize it. And I, I had this big calculator, this cool, fancy calculator, right? So I think what I did was I got this note card and maybe tore it in half and wrote the formula on it and stuck it under, like, you know, shoved it inside the calculator. And I think I tried to, like, peek at it. And as soon as I, like, looked down or, like, looked suspicious, my math teacher caught me right away. It was like, there was, like, no time for me to even cheat. And then uh, I got caught, I got in trouble, and the next day, I think, I was in detention. Did I learn my lesson? You better believe it, right? I've never cheated again. I can honestly say that before God and everyone here. I've never cheated again. But immediately, I learned my lesson. Think about speeding tickets. I mean, the other day, or not the other day, a few months ago, 
I was driving on a, a River Road, right? And you know where River Road is and you're leaving Orleans trying to go to Jefferson and it drops from like 40 to 25 like that? I'm like, that's not time to transition. So as soon as I hit 25, there's a cop car coming behind me. I got a ticket. Think about the camera tickets. I, the good thing about the camera tickets is they don't stay on your record, right? Right? Okay, good. Just that. Thank you. I need that affirmation. Um, <laughs> the camera tickets are awful because you don't know it's coming, but it's kind of nice they don't stay in your record, but you still got to pay it. There's, it comes in the mail, you're like, oh, I forgot about that, you know? There's direct consequences to things we do. Think about, on a serious note, things you say to people. James talks about the tongue has the power to bring life and death. Things we say to people have consequences on other people. Comments we make to people, jokes we make sometimes, things that we divide over that we shouldn't divide over, things that we speak to people that bring them down. We think it's no big deal, but they're carrying that weight and they're struggling and they remember what you said to them. It could be something you did to someone. It could be someone betraying your trust, something you've dealt with in your life that just right away begins to take root and you have those consequences. Those are direct consequences. Secondly, some consequences come later in life. Some consequences don't happen right away. They come later. Things that you might have done years ago that you might have forgotten about, but then you get married, and you got to talk about it, right? Maybe you have kids, or your kids, you know, you have to start talking about things that maybe you've never dealt with, or things that you experienced that will begin to impact people if you don't deal with it first, right? But that, not, that might not be for 10 to 15 to 20 years, who knows? I think about all these examples of people that thought they were getting away with terrible things and then they get caught and they're in prison the rest of their life. I can give you countless examples of pastors and leaders that, that fell and thought they were hiding it and they weren't. Many more examples. Let's think about the past two years. COVID. We're tired. We're weary. Hurricane Ida. We're, we're just so worn out. And if we're not careful, and this is tough, myself included, we let our weariness drive bad decisions. It's really hard to not do that, isn't it? It's so hard. But we, we make decisions based on a state of stress and exhaustion. We're not, not close with the Lord, and we're just reacting, and later on, we're starting to feel it. Maybe you're feeling it today. Two years later, after COVID hit, first started, we're still feeling the, th the decisions and repercussions from that. There's also eternal consequences. Eternal consequences to the decisions we make against God. Ultimately, if you don't know Jesus Christ, we're going to get to this at the end. If you don't know Jesus Christ, you will experience eternal separation from God if you don't choose to follow and love him. That's one thing. Secondly, we will all be judged in some capacity. That's not a bad thing. God's judgment is righteous and right and good. If we know Jesus, we will be judged, but we will also be eternally kept with him. If you don't know Jesus, it's a different type of judgment. So there will be a time where you do have to answer to everything you've done for Jesus or not done for Jesus in this 
lifetime. Luke chapter 12 on the screen, look at it. Jesus says this, he's talking about the Pharisees. He's teaching and he's saying, look, you can look religious all you want. You can go to church every week. You can look like you're reading your Bible every day and you're just posting, you know, look at me, I'm so holy, but God knows your heart, right? And he says, nothing is covered up that will not be revealed. Nothing is hidden that will not be made known. So therefore, whatever you have said in the dark will be heard in the light. What you've whispered in private rooms will be proclaimed on the housetops. Hebrews talks about we're all naked and exposed before God to whom we must give account. There's eternal consequences. We don't like to hear that. I don't like to say it, by the way. I'm not having fun saying this right now, okay? But it is what it is. It's the reality of the state and the world we live in, who God is. We have to wrestle with that and deal with that and choose how we're going to live in light of that reality. So let me encourage us now and look at the work of Jesus Christ and be thankful that Jesus Christ has taken the greatest burden we could not bear ourselves, right? Isn't that good news? So when we just talk about all this heavy stuff, we need to feel it. We need to understand that. We need to feel the weight of that, by the way. Do not ignore that. Do not run from that. But take that reality and place it on Jesus Christ. And then choose to yield and submit to the finished work of Jesus Christ for you. And then anticipate his return again. And as long as you live for him and yield to him, you can't go wrong. But these two things work together. Disobeying God has consequences. What will we do with that? And thirdly, our third and final truth is this. Obedience is not always easy. Rarely ever is it easy. Sometimes it may be, but not usually. Obedience is not always easy. Look at the last few verses, uh, verses 8 through 10 of Exodus 11. So continuing the conversation, says all of these servants, when this happens, Moses says, all of these servants of Egypt shall come down to me and bow down to me saying, get out, you and all the people who follow you. And after that, I will go out. And he went out from Pharaoh after this conversation in hot anger. The Lord said to Moses, Pharaoh will not listen to you, that my wonders may be multiplied in Egypt. So Moses and Aaron continued to do all these wonders before Pharaoh, and the Lord hardened Pharaoh's heart. He did not let the people of Israel go out of this land. So when this happens, even the Egyptians are going to say to Moses and, and Israel, you guys need to go. <laughs> Just it's time to go. Get out of here. You don't want to experience this. And as they experience this leaving and, and leaving Egypt, and Egypt saying, get out of here, we, we're reminded that in the midst of all of this, this process with Moses and Pharaoh, Moses has simply been called to obey God. Moses has been called to do exactly what God told him to do as a spokesleader for Israel, and he's done it. But the key here, I want us to wrestle with this, is the phrase in the text where it says, he went out from Pharaoh in hot anger. What does that mean? The ESV study Bible says this, 
as the one who interacted with Pharaoh throughout and even pleaded with the Lord on his behalf, it may be that Moses found Pharaoh's persistent pride infuriating because of the devastating effects it would have on the people of Egypt. When we read this, we need to know that Moses did not enjoy this. He did not like this, okay? He was not happy it came to this. He left that conversation in hot anger. When you unpack what that means, it's, it's referring to a righteous anger. Okay, there's a way to be angry and not sin, isn't there? There's also a way to be angry, though, and sin. So what does it look like to be angry and not sin? It looks like righteous anger. Jesus went into the temples one day and saw a bunch of people selling stuff. Using the temple and using his space as a marketplace. What did he do in there? Do you remember? Flip the tables, right? He was pretty mad. <laughs> Wasn't he? Was he sinning in his anger? He was mad about the right things, wasn't he? Think about every time he called out the Pharisees and the religious. Man, you guys are missing it. You look holy and spiritual, but you hate your neighbor. You hate the poor. You don't love people. That's righteous anger, guys. Man, we could keep going about this. I got to keep moving here. I'm running out of time. But there's so many things that we should be bothered about as Christians in this world. We should not feel good about it. We should not enjoy seeing the state of our world. We do not let it drive what we do in fear and anxiety and panic, but we should be bothered by it. It should make us angry in a righteous way. So Jesus demonstrates that. Moses demonstrates that as he leaves this situation. He obeyed God with this, with this conversation about the plague, but he didn't leave that conversation feeling good. He left struggling and angry and and, and just not enjoying that, and he had a righteous anger. But through all of this, he had to ultimately trust that the results were up to God, not him. He was just called to be obedient in every step of the process of the big picture of what God was doing, right? He can't control everything. God was sovereign. God was in control. God was doing something bigger than Moses could see. God's using Moses as an agent to be obedient, but it wasn't easy. We're always called to obey, whether it's easy or not. And I just think about this, this idea that as we look at Moses and Israel getting ready to be freed pretty soon, one thing I was reminded of is that we live in a tension. We live in a tension. What do I mean by a tension? Think about it. In life, we operate in a tension. If you are married, you enjoy your marriage, you enjoy moments, you enjoy memories, but do you settle for those moments and memories? No, do you? Hopefully you try not to. No. You want to make new ones and better ones. You want to continue to grow as a husband and wife. Same with the parents and kids. You want to continue. You don't settle and just stop at this. You continue to grow. You continue to develop in that. Maybe you have a great job, you love your job, you're enjoying your job, but sometimes you struggle with it. You're not content. You want a better opportunity, right? You want to continue to grow, continue to develop as a great employee or boss or whatever you do. If you play a sport, college football yesterday, right? Some good games on yesterday, especially if you're a Bulldogs fan like me. But you win the game, are you content with that one victory? No. You want to win the next game. 
Your friendships, the road trips you plan, they're so fun, right? But you can't wait for the next road trip. And so you're living in this tension. And I think about this tension that Israel and Moses experienced with Egypt. They were experiencing the blessings and provision and faithfulness of God, but they were broken and burdened for Egypt at the same time. If you're a Christian here today, watching online, maybe you know Jesus if you're here, you need to enjoy the promises of God. You need to enjoy the blessings of God. You need to enjoy what Jesus has done for you. You need to live in that victory, don't you? Don't walk around thinking you don't have it. You have it in Christ. Live in it. On the flip side, if you're a Christian, live in that, embrace that. That's your life. But you're also burdened for those that don't know Jesus, aren't you? It's hard to see what you see. It's hard to experience what you see. Your, your coworker, your neighbor, your family member that you might see over the holidays who cares nothing about Jesus, that's not easy for you. You're enjoying Jesus, but they don't want anything to do with him. When I think about those two scenarios, there's a tension. And I think Christians are called to live in the tension. Because you know what the tension drives us to? Mission. Mission. Why did Jesus leave us with the Great Commission? Because he knew the world would need him. He knew it. So he says, look, take hold of my Holy Spirit. Live in what I have to offer you now and in eternity with me in heaven you need to live in that reality. That is a gift from me to you, but I want this gift to keep spreading. I want people to choose to follow and love me because they love me. They want who I am. And so can you be a part of that mission with me and let the brokenness drive you to action while you are compelled by the promises of God in your life that you have? Does that make sense? There's a tension that we are called to live in Obedience is not always easy. It rarely ever is, but we're just called to obey. We'll never regret obeying God. As the band comes up, I'm going to give you three questions to think about. In response, where are you in these three questions? Question number one is, I'm going to talk to the believers of Jesus Christ in the room. You know Jesus. You follow him. Where are you and where are you not obeying God? Simple question. It's okay. Until we see Jesus face to face, we're going to wrestle with the sin nature, the struggle, but we run back to the grace of God that gets us back up again, moving forward again. So where are you lacking obedience and what do you need to do about it? Number two, Christian, are you broken and burdened for, for those separated from God? Now, are you broken and burdened for the world, not freaking out and living in panic and anxiety and fear, but letting the brokenness compel you to be the change maker? That's what we're called to do. We're not called to live in fear. I know it's hard. We're called to live in peace in the middle of the craziness because we have Jesus. So who will you take that brokenness to to share the gospel of Jesus Christ with? And then question number three, if you don't know Jesus, if you don't know God, if you've never surrendered to the gospel, what's holding you back? What's holding you back? 
Is it pride? Is it your past? Is it fear? Do you have doubts? Do you have questions? Which we talked about that last week. That's okay. I want to read, I love this passage as we wrap up. John chapter 6. Don't miss this. It's on the screen. John 6, verses 66 through 69. Jesus has been teaching many hard things up to this point. He's bringing this message of the upside-down kingdom to people. Some people embrace it, but many reject it. And there comes a point where he's in a crowd of people. And it says that from this time, many of his disciples turn back and no longer followed him. So then Jesus turned and looked at Peter. Remember Peter? He's the guy who doubted. He's the guy who struggled. He's the, we love Peter because we can relate to Peter, right? He looks at Peter and he says, Peter, you don't want to leave me too. He looked at the 12. He said, you don't want to leave me too, do you? And Peter looked at him. He says, Lord, to whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life. We've come to believe, we've come to know that you are the Holy One of God. Jesus holds the words of life. No one else holds the words of life. As Jesus looked at the disciples, he said, you guys want to go too? Because they could if they wanted to. He looks at the 12, his inner circle. And they say, where else will we go? I think that's the key. As we may have questions, we may have doubts, we may struggle, we will struggle. But the question I want you to ask yourself is, if it's not Jesus, who's it going to be? Who's going to really sustain you in this life? Who's going to give you the promises that he can give you? Let's get down to the nitty-gritty. If it's not Jesus, who will it be? Jesus holds the words of life. Amen? And my question for you is, have you come to know that? Have you come to believe that? And if you look at Jesus, you'll get everything else. Are you confident? You can say, Jesus holds the words of life. Where else will I go? Even in my doubts, even in my questions, even in my wrestling, Jesus is with me in that wrestling. And he wants me to lean into him. There's a song, I think a scripture that says, I have tasted and I've seen that you are better than all these things. Have you tasted? Have you seen? Will you obey? Will you obey? So in closing, we have a choice. Will we obey God or not? God honors those who obey him. Disobeying God has consequences, and obedience is not always easy. But we will never regret obeying God. Will we obey God? No matter what, trust Him. Let's pray. God, thank you for this message. Thank you for this word. Thank you for what you're doing in this place. Thank you, God, that you hold the words of life. No one else holds the promises that you do. 
And the whole reason that you sent your son Jesus is because the world needs Jesus. You don't need us. We need you, and you are so loving and gracious that you have chosen to come down to us and do what you did. And now you're alive, you ascended, you sit at the right hand of the Father, interceding for us with all the saints that have gone before us, preparing a place for us. And one day we will experience what we were originally meant to experience before sin. You're making all things new, all things right, but only done your way. So we need you, we trust you, we ask you to help us obey you. In Jesus' name.